I feel like a lot of times we talk about the gospel, but we don't spend enough time in discipleship. That's really where speaking for him was born. I want to disciple my fellow Christians. I want to see them draw closer to the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will, and it will be done unto you. Why? Not because if I abide in him, he'll give me a brand new van in the driveway every year. No, because when I abide in him, my goals become the goals that he has for me. When I abide in him, my thoughts match up with his thoughts. When I abide in him, his life spills out of me as fountains of living water. That's why. That's why we need to draw close to him. If you're not abiding in the vine, you're dying. As we begin today, I would like to ask you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 14. Uh, It's kind of amazing to me that we are almost halfway through this book. Uh, I've really enjoyed digging into first uh, Luke and now Acts. I've always wanted to do a back-to-back study of these books because Luke the physician wrote both of them. Interestingly, he wrote both of them to Theophilus. And... He wrote them as proof that Jesus was the Son of God. And you notice the detail as we study this to which Luke goes to let you know that this is indeed, these are indeed important things for us to know. And as we look at Acts chapter 14, the first 23 verses, Lord willing, this morning, we will continue to see God's work in the Apostle Paul through his first missionary journey. Paul is kind of wrapping up that first missionary journey, and so that is where we join the narrative today. Let's open in a quick word of prayer, and then we will begin. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this book. Thank you for the recording of Paul's missionary journeys. We thank you for how faithful you were to use Paul for your honor and your glory. And we know that you are able to use us in similar ways as we surrender to you. Now we dedicate this time to you, O Lord, and we just ask that you would bring from it the fruit that you would have. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today Paul's going to continue to share the gospel. And as is kind of common in in the book of Acts, we're going to start from a place of God blessing Paul and Barnabas, and then we will see results from that. 
So the first point is God blesses the work of Paul and Barnabas. Let's look at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 14 together. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake. And a great multitude of both the Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made of both the Gentiles, and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra, Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And there they preached the gospel. Now you remember when Jesus was on the earth, he sent his disciples two by two to go into the cities and to preach repentance. And he told them to go and to do good unto the people that they went and came across. And if they entered a house and, and they were blessed, then they should bless that house. But if they were not accepted, if they were not blessed, they should, what, shake off the dust from off their sandals and leave. And so I really see this pattern in Paul. It's interesting that even though Paul has already told us earlier in, the, in this book that he is going to the Gentiles, he still has a heart for the Jews. He never gives up his heart for the Jews. I think this shows us that God's chosen people are still the Jews. Paul said what? He said that I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's what we see in this first verse, that a great multitude both of Jews and also of Greeks believed. So I think this is part of what would cause Paul to write that later in the book of Romans. And then we see these unbelieving Jews. It, it amazes me that Jesus was a Jew. It's evident that he went to the festivals. It's evident that he cared about the Jewish way of life celebrated the Passover with his disciples. He was, in fact, the perfect Jew. And yet, for whatever reason, the God of this world has blinded the Jewish people in general to believing that Jesus is the Messiah. Is it, I believe that God wanted to use 
the Jews to bring the Gentiles to faith in Jesus. And instead what has happened, especially in the Western world, is that God is now using Gentiles and Jews, but, uh, but, but Gentiles through organizations like Jews for Jesus to reach out and say, yes, your Messiah not only is coming, but he has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> because what did Paul say? He said, after the fullness of time, Christ was come, born of a woman, to redeem those who are under the law. What a wonderful privilege we have to share with Jew and Gentile alike that the Messiah has come. And the most exciting part is he will come again. We read this morning in John chapter 14, I will come again to receive you that where I am, you may be also. What a wonderful promise that is. And so then the unbelieving Jews stir up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected. The Apostle James will write about the power of the tongue. What does it say about the power of the tongue? We have the power to preach, to, to speak both death and life. The tongue is very small, but it's one of the most powerful parts of the body. And then, it doesn't say they fled at this point, right? It says, long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Remember what Jesus said when he was about to leave the earth. He says, works like I have done and even greater works will you do. And so God is allowing the works of the hands of the apostles to speak the truth for them. So then there's a division in the people. A lot of times we think of division as a bad thing. And, and yes, what does the psalmist say? He said, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And if we are blood-bought saints of the Most High God, we should dwell together in unity because we have the same Father and we have the blood of Emmanuel running through our spiritual veins. So, yes, we should be in unity. But what did Jesus say to his disciples? Among other things, he said, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. Why is that? Because if we are unified on the way to hell, we all go to hell. So, he divides us because the truth does divide us. The Bible says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it divides asunder and that it probes the thoughts and intents of the heart. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4. So this is the division that we're seeing here. 
And then it says, when there was assault, when there was an assault made both of Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were made aware of it and they fled. God will always have his purposes met. You notice Paul would eventually die a martyr's death. Tradition tells us he was beheaded by Nero. But until the time that God called Paul home, until the time when Paul was able to write, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, no one could hinder him. That should give us a lot of encouragement. The world wants to hinder the work of Christ, but they've been trying it for thousands of years unsuccessfully. What did Martin Luther say? He said, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And remember, it was Martin Luther who stood before the Diet of Worms and said, I will not and I cannot recant unless you show me through the truth of Scripture where I am wrong. Here I stand. I can do no other. He was basically echoing the words of the apostles who said, whether it is right for us to do, to follow you or God, judge you, but we can only speak of the things we have seen and heard. So they left and they went to Derby and the cities of Lyconia and unto the region that lies round about. And what did they do? And there, they preach the gospel. So they get in trouble for preaching the gospel in Iconium. And they leave, and they go, and they hide. No, they go, and they preach the gospel. Because the gospel is where the power is at. All these people in the world that talk about unity... They don't realize that the way to unity is through Jesus Christ. He's the one that gives us the bond of perfection. He's the one that gives us love for one another, which is the number one proof that we are his disciples. Paul said it this way, in him we live and move and have our being. Let's look at, by way of cross-reference, Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. And then 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 to 16. So we'll start in Acts, and then we'll read the 1 Thessalonians passage. After that. And now, Lord, behold, thy threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, that stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And then First Thessalonians two fourteen to sixteen. Just as they did for the 
So we see here, first of all, when the apostles were released from prison and said, don't preach in, in Jesus' name, they went back to their brethren in the upper room and they prayed for boldness that they would continue to preach. And then Paul talks in 2 Thessalonians about the suffering of the saints for the gospel. Suffering is an important and necessary part of someone who truly believes the gospel. And one of the reasons why I have started to talk about um, the basics of Christianity, that's kind of what the series is right now on my podcast, is because we have such a high level of biblical illiteracy in the church today that we need to just get back to the simple, basic truth of this is what the Bible says, and that is why I believe it. It's so important. And uh, so I just encourage you to get into the Word of God. Don't rely on whoever's coming here to speak Sunday after Sunday to, to be the only way that you get the truth of the Scripture. I, I, have, I feel like I have a sacred duty to preach the Word of God unadulterated, without shame, and without hesitation. But my, my goal in doing that is to encourage you to dig deeper into the Word yourself. Because God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. He's interested in what you personally do with him. Thomas Lindbergh writes, two shopkeepers were bitter rivals. Their stores were directly across the street from each other, and they would spend each day keeping track of each other's business. If one got a customer, he would smile and triumph at his rival. One night an angel appeared to the shopkeepers in a dream and said, I will give you anything you ask, but whatever you receive, your competitor will receive twice as much. Would you be rich? You can be very rich, but he will be twice as wealthy. Do you wish to live a long and healthy life? You can, but his life will be longer and healthier. What is your desire? The man frowned and thought for a moment and said, Here is my request. Strike me blind in one eye. One sign of jealousy is when it's easier to show sympathy and weep with those who weep than it is to exhibit joy and rejoice with those who rejoice. These unbelieving Jews that we just talked about, they were more concerned with losing the power over their synagogue than learning the proof and the truth and the awesomeness of their Messiah, who they supposedly had prayed for for thousands of years. God told Isaiah, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Mighty God. 
and these unbelieving Jews just turn their backs on that truth. Once you turn your back on God, what hope is there for your life? And they'd rather have everyone go into hell than allow some to go to heaven. Incidentally, that's a similar conversation to what Jesus had with the Pharisees. You, you, put, you put expectations and burdens on the people that you yourselves are not able to bear. The second point here, the healing of a lame man brings misunderstanding. Let's look at Acts 14, 8 to 15. Acts 14, 8 to 15. And there was a certain man at Lystra, <coughs> impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother womb, mother's womb, who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed. Said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands under the gates, and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you these things? We are also men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth, the sea, and all the things that are therein. So, what we have here is a situation where these Lyconians thought that Paul and Barnabas were their gods come to earth. And so what does Paul do? He runs into the midst of the crowd. He tears his clothes. And he says... What you are believing is a lie, but let me tell you about the true and living God. <laughs> See, the greatest, the cool thing about Paul, the awesome thing about Paul is that everything that he goes through in life is a segue to Jesus. Everything that he goes through in life is an excuse, an opportunity to share Christ and him crucified. And he says here, there is a creator God who made you, and let me tell you about him. That encourages me. That encourages me because even in the darkest of times, even in the darkest of places, there are opportunities to share the light of Jesus.
And my friend says, things get darker around us. It's not an excuse for an higher. It's an excuse to shine brighter. Until the perfect day. But let's, let's look at this a second here. First of all, we, we see once again the healing of a lame man. This gives me hope because I, as a lame man myself, I know that one day I will be healed. But Luke makes it very clear. Again, Luke is a doctor, okay? So these details that he provides are very important to the story. He says he was lame from his mother, mother's womb and he never walked. People often, sometimes will ask me, people sometimes will ask me, have you ever walked? Or how long have you been in a wheelchair? And I'll say, well, I've never walked. I've always been in a chair. So that is the situation of this man. He never walked. And it says that he heard Paul speak. Well, actually, it looks like it's saying that Paul heard him speak. So he's calling out to Paul. Most likely, and Paul turned and steadfastly beholding him and perceiving his faith. I want to just point out something here. How often do we see people around us but don't really take the time to see them? When Paul heard this man, he turned around and he steadfastly beheld him. Proverbs says the light of the body is the eye. And I can picture Paul looking this man in the eye and seeing an unspoken faith there that Paul could heal him. And then he said with a loud voice, he wasn't ashamed. He said, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Again, there wasn't this slow progression. This man who had never walked gets up and he leaps and walks. And the result is the people know something miraculous happened so they think of their gods. I kind of wonder, looking at this passage, why he didn't say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but it's possible that the people in this town didn't know of Jesus Christ. So Paul just commands this man to be healed, obviously in the name of Jesus, even though it's not stated. And then when they think it's one of their gods, he turns it around and said, no, we are not gods. We are just men with like passions as you are. That reminds me that God uses imperfect people like you and like me to accomplish 
his goal, his will. And again, it's an encouragement to me. And Paul turns it around and says, let me tell you about the one who created everything. Let's look at, uh, by way of cross-reference, Acts 10.26, Acts 10.26, and then Psalm 146, 5-7. So this first one here, we see Peter saying the same thing. Cornelius, when Peter comes... Um, Cornelius bows down to Peter and Peter pulls Cornelius to his feet and he says stand up I'm also a man remember when Peter bowed before Jesus and said depart from me for I'm a sinful man did Jesus pull Peter up no he accepted the worship why because he was saying I am the Son of God. When Jesus approached, when the rich young ruler approached Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus said, no one is good but God alone. But he never rebukes the man for calling him good. Why? Because he was saying in effect, I am God. Jesus would also make verbal assent to that when he said, before Abraham was, I am. But there were a lot of subtle ways in which Jesus confirmed his deity, and this is one of them. Psalm 146, 5 to 7. Psalm 146, 5 to 7. So what does Paul say in this verse 15? He says, We preach unto you the living God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all things therein. So I, I think that Paul too here is making a distinction. Don't add the God of Israel to your gods that you already have. He says, we preach to you the living God. All, all these other gods, they may have eyes, but they do not see. They may have ears, but they do not hear. But he says, this is the living God that I'm telling you about. Part three, my third point, God preserves Paul through persecution. Again, you would think that they would be excited to hear this truth, but the God of the world, the devil, has blinded them, and so this is the result. 
adds 14, 16 to 23. Reads. Who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. Okay, so it's interesting that in this case, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium the unbelieving Jews persuade these godless people to then stone Paul. And there's indications in the epistles that Paul may have actually died from that stoning. They suppose him to be dead, and Paul will relate in the third person. He says, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Talking about heaven, he says, I can't speak of the, the wonderful things that I saw. He didn't, he didn't crank out a best-selling book about how real heaven was or all that he experienced. He actually said, I can't talk about it. Neither has I seen or ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man what the Lord has prepared for them that fear him. Paul couldn't talk about it. This is why I'm skeptical whenever somebody writes a book about their after-death experience and coming back to life. Because Paul, the one who had the credentials, the one who seems like he would have every right to talk about it, says, I can't talk about it. All I can tell you is that it's wonderful. So I believe that Paul did die and God raised him up because he wasn't done with Paul. What did Paul write? He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then the other point I want to make, make here is that he goes with Barnabas to Derby. And he preached the gospel to that city. And then he returns to Lystra and Iconium, where they had healed the lame man in Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. And that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. 
So he's all about discipleship. He doesn't just go through on a barnstorming tour, preaching the gospel, and then not care about the people. His whole life was about writing letters to the churches so they would know how much he cared about them, how much he longed for them with a godly jealousy, how much he remembered them in, their, in his prayers. Almost every epistle starts out that way. I remember you in my prayers with joy. He says in Philippians, I'm thankful for your fellowship in the gospel. He considers them his equals. And he loves them as a father would love his children. What a wonderful example that is. I feel like a lot of times we talk about the gospel, but we don't spend enough time in discipleship. That's really where speaking for him was born. I want to disciple my fellow Christians. I want to see them draw closer to the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done unto you. Why? Not because if I abide in him, he'll give me a brand new van in the driveway every year. No, because when I abide in him, my goals become the goals that he has for me. When I abide in him, my thoughts match up with his thoughts. <clears throat> when I abide in him, his life spills out of me as fountains of living water. That's why. That's why we need to draw close to him. If you're not abiding in the vine, you're dying. Those are the two choices. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. What did Paul say in his epistles? I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul had confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can as well. So Paul gets persecuted. He gets stoned, quite possibly dies. We'll never know for sure this side of glory. And then God raised him up. <clears throat> it's interesting that even if he didn't die, having been stoned, you would think that he would be in too much pain to rise himself. And yet it says that he, as they stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. So he rose up on his own power, or more accurately stated, through the power of the Lord, and went into the city. 
If we look at 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 27. I am innocent of Christ. I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. Night and day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And now, 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12. 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 12. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, So we see in this passage, and I think at, at some point in the epistle to Timothy, he says, Yea, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul is saying this is what it means to really be a believer. There's a well-known preacher and I use that term loosely, who says that he doesn't want to talk about sin with his congregation because he just wants to teach them how to have a better life. But what did Jesus say? He said, if a man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, if Paul had not chosen this path of great resistance, this path of persecution, he would have been on the wide road and he would have been headed to a Christless eternity. I don't want to be responsible as a preacher for sending people to a Christless eternity. I'd much rather tell you that the way to abundant life is through Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, I promise you a comfortable life. He doesn't say, I promise you a suffering-free life. No, instead he says, I promise you an abundant life. And I'm sure Paul would tell you if he was here today, I live an abundant life. Despite, or perhaps even to a degree because of the persecutions that he suffered. An abundant life does not mean a suffering-free life. Jesus lived the most abundant life of all, and yet he suffered. But he did so for the joy that was set before him. And because of his sacrifice, he was able to give his all to us.
Great Al Moody once told the fable of an eagle who was envious of another and could fly better than he could. One day the bird saw a sportsman with a bow and arrow and said to him, I wish you would bring down that eagle up there. The man said he would and if he had some feathers for his arrow. So the jealous eagle pulled one out of his wing. The arrow was shot but didn't quite reach the rival bird because he was flying too high. The first eagle pulled out another feather and then another until he had lost so many that he, he himself couldn't fly. The archer took advantage of the situation, turned around, and killed the helpless bird. Moody made this application, if you are envious of others, then you will, you will hurt the most. By your, the person, the one you will hurt the most by your actions will be yourself. I share that last story to let you know that if someone is sharing the gospel with you, apart from the suffering that does occur, they are doing you a disservice because a half-truth is a full lie. 